3: Welcome to the Square Ball Podcast 177 with Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees for going through us the Square Ball. 20% off at the moment for key workers. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White's here, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Plenty of stuff to get your teeth into on our website. You can still get hold of the free coloring book if you'd like something to do for you or the kids. During lockdown. Issue 7 of the mag still on sale via the website and you can get loads of merch there uh, including all the hoodies, the t-shirts, mugs at the squareball.net. Well this isn't new news but we are still in lockdown. One of the big stories that's emerged over the last seven days is we become aware that uh, Norman Hunter is dealing with COVID-19. Um, we'd like to send him obviously our best wishes. Uh, it was one of those stories that kind of gathered a bit of momentum online and then the club made the announcement in the end finally I think because there were so many rumours doing the rounds. You've got some first-hand experience of Norman up on the gantry, Ding, haven't you, Moscow?
4: <laughs> it's probably the best part of um, being up there. Is uh, is one getting to the point where Norman Hunter knows who I am, or well, doesn't know who I am, but says hello to me and gives me a big smile. And um, probably one of the highlights of my life, actually, at the start of this season, the first game. Um, I assumed after the summer break that he would have uh, completely forgotten. About any of our conversations from the the year before, which generally insisted of him saying, "Why don't they get the ball on the fucking field?" and me looking at him going, "Yeah, yeah, I think that's what they should do." Because you you're not going to argue with Norman Hunter under any any circumstances. But yeah, the the first game of the season, he spotted me through a crowd of people and came sort of forced forced his way through and around them to make sure he came over. Gave me a big grin, a big handshake, and a smack on the shoulder. And how are you, son? And I was surprised, pleased, grateful. And I'm looking forward to something like that again soon.
3: If you haven't yet caught the um, stuff we've done with Bryn Law on the extra ball, we'll play a little bit for you now, because obviously you will remember Bryn Law did a load of co-commentary with Norman Hunter at BBC Radio Leeds. Uh, This one can be found in part one of our chat with Bryn Law. About 22 minutes into it, if you fancy giving it a listen, here's a little excerpt for you. You said about uh, working with the greats, like Norman Hunter, a famed sidekick in the uh, in
2: the gantry for a while. What have you learned from the greats? You said you learned so much from them, but like, what have you learned? Simple stuff, I think. Mainly, uh, I mean, Norman. You know, some of the phrases that Norman used to use still stick with me, resonate with me now. In terms of the simplicity of the game, which is all about possession, effectively you know you you can't do anything without the football so you've got to get the football first and then the, then you do something with the football and you see that big white thing at the end of the pitch lads you have to get the ball in that it was you know that was the stuff that Norman would coached to those players when he was in charge at Barnsley and and uh, Rotherham was it as well when he was in that position he would have he would have delivered a simple message and the the message is fundamentally the same for any type of football whether it's Bielsa ball or whatever else it might be so there's was the simplicity of the description there well, my favourite Norman Hunter ism is still after you've watched a rotten first half of football, and you get in at halftime. His first comment would always be, "Well, it'll never replace football, pal." And and that was that that again just kind of summed it up, you know, because they were used to playing something that was good to watch. You know, all, all the talk about dirty Leeds and all the rest of it. Some of the football they played was brilliant, and and that's the way they like to see football played. Still, it was my uh, introduction to a lot of Leeds
4: United stuff was because I lived over. The wrong side of the pennines in the 90s but I could get radio leads if I point out I one radio <laughs> in the house that if the aerial was pointed in the right direction through the fuzz through the the static I could pick up you and and Norman and uh, I never did it with uh, with you and I won't now but um he was before a Champions League match I saw him with I think be and Dennis going to his commentary position, and I ran after him to get my programme signed. I was about twenty-one and <laughs> muttered something about him being like, "You were like my second dad," and, <laughs> and he was annoyed because he He's was like trying my to get second it signed. dad as well. <laughs> but he it was. It's. I mean, I don't have the the, the specific recollections of of the things he said, but that the atmosphere of being talked through the games by you two has has never left me because you then. That was the main way you'd experience the football, and you know if yeah, I couldn't there was no have got other that commentary that point, wasn't until match of the day beyond that night, yeah. and then I could compare it and be like, oh, well, they said this happened, and and now I know what they're describing when I see them. So put it all together, and it was real foundational stuff from uh, the preview. But normally is
2: still on the is on the opposite side of the the gantry from you now um yes he is You got to watch a... his game i see him. and every time i see him i just you know you said second dad was well, sitting next to him was even more like that because i was when i arrived in leeds and started doing the commentaries i was 22 probably when i was to start doing the commentaries so norman would have been no norman was 70 something recently wasn't he so norman would have been in his 40s at that point uh or yeah 40s so it, it was a bit like sitting, but and we used to travel together to all the games, obviously as well. So you'd spend quite a lot of time in each other's company. And Norman uh, uh, footballs unfailingly, particularly in that era. I think maybe now they're sort of um, plugged into other stuff, but footballs in that area used to have an unerring ability to fall asleep at any given moment. <laughs> so Norman would we'd get in the car to drive to. I'd be at the wheel, and we'd get in the car to drive to wherever it Charlton or Chelsea, wherever it might be. And Norman would, after about five or ten minutes of sort of badinage about what had gone on since the last game a bit of chat about the family and all the rest of it norman would say i'll just have a little zuz, pal," and he would then wake up generally as we put, basically as we pulled into the car park at the at the other end so, so we, there wasn't always a massive amount of conversation on those journeys but um yeah it was it was a i mean that bit i loved i just loved that that um spending time with with norman i mean i was really lucky to it with billy bremner eddie gray peter lorimer norman hunter i mean that just what a you know, stellar, stellar lineup. on occasions, Frank Worthington, that was always very <laughs> interesting. But I saw Frank the other day, he's not very well at the moment, and Frank still, it was a game, and he, he saw me and he waved and smiled, and that was brilliant. So it was an absolute education. I was just a young guy doing it, and I was almost fresh out of college, not quite, but almost. And it was just brilliant. I mean, just you couldn't get a better footballing education than that.
3: Well, it looks like we might have a tentative return date for football, anyway then, boys, um maybe June, July, they're eyeballing. Clubs have been told not to resume training until the middle of May, which would suggest maybe at least sort of a, a three-week um, three run-up runner eh? it. Would you like it to come back? I think it's about time, isn't it?
5: At least it'd be nice to at least have a vague date for it because all this waiting around is doing no one any favours, is it? I think everyone's getting a bit touchier the longer it goes on.
3: And I think when football does return, at least we've then got something that resembles normality. Obviously, we don't want to rush football back before it's safe to do so. As we've said across the last few weeks, there's a far bigger issue at play at the minute. But to have football back, even if it is behind closed doors, which will be weird, it'll at least be something that we recognise.
4: Yeah, hopefully one will go hand in hand with the other. It would be ideal if the return of football was a sign that pretty much everything is is back to something like normal I'm not sure how I would feel about football starting again if things are not back to something like normal. I think it would make the sort of the, um, the eye-watering casualty counts from hospitals seem even harder to take if they were arriving at halftime during, you know. I always pick on Watford and Burnley, time during Watford and Burnley. But yeah, the hopes that um, the that good times and football will be back with us are, uh, yeah, universal, I think.
5: I think part of that as well is that, you know, for this to happen, the players will all need to be tested probably multiple times before every game, I imagine. So given at the moment we're at a stage where frontline NHS staff are still not being tested, obviously give them priority. No, one's, no one, I don't think anyone, apart from maybe uh, some of the Premier League teams might, because they uh, seem to be, have shown themselves to be quite greedy through this. No one is suggesting that football should take priority over anything else at this stage.
4: It does all seem... Hella risky as well. I know there have to be contingency plans, and I think I've I've said elsewhere. It's kind of it's a it's a it's a good stance to take of keep saying that right. Okay, we'll we'll plan for a a June comeback date, and then if that doesn't work, okay, we'll we'll plan for a July comeback date, and keep putting the plan in place in case suddenly we do get the the clearance, and we go, oh, actually we can we can play now. The slight concern with with starting too early, even if it is under the um, the ideas of footballers being in uh, holiday camps or prison camps or whatever kind of camps, or at least tested nine to the dozen, is uh, all it takes is for one player to, as Mikel Arteta sorry, did to to kick all this off, test positive, and so what do you do then? Do you have to shut the whole thing down again because you've got a risk of infection amongst the footballers? Again, It's uh, I would suggest getting this right is going to be quite important.
3: Yeah, you make a very good point there, both of you, because I mentioned this to my wife and she said, well, wouldn't it be a little bit off if footballers are all getting freely tested for COVID-19 and yet uh, general members of society and most importantly, members of the NHS are not able to get tests? And yeah, it doesn't quite sit right, does it? As much as I want football back and I want normal life back, there is something a wee bit more important going on.
5: Yeah, although in fairness, I would probably back football clubs to be a bit more enterprising in getting hold of hold of tests than potentially our government has been at the moment, but probably best off not drifting into politics.
3: On the football front, I mean, it's something we've skirted around in previous weeks. Do you think this return date would be a good thing or a bad thing for Leeds? The layoff and the, uh, the chance to sort of regroup a little
5: bit? I think of all the teams in the league, it would suit us the best because I think everyone, which seems we've planned for this, the players know are having to still submit weight readings and they're still getting GPS fitness trackers on their backs when they go to sleep, I think, to make sure they're getting enough kip and stuff. So I think the Leeds players will come back fresh from it and still raring to go. Whether or not Wayne Rooney is keeping himself in peak physical shape, I would doubt, to be honest.
4: Yeah, looking at um, Jean-Kevin Augustin's physique, if that's what it still is, he looks like he could return as the most formidable striker in the league. But it is difficult to predict. I thought um, Pep Clotet was quite interesting talking about this, where he said that he doesn't think any team can say that the breakers favoured them because once you deviate from the routine of playing, he said, things change and in the remaining games we'll see some different performances from sides whose fortunes might have contrasted before such a long hiatus. It's um it will be different. You, players might have picked up injuries during the preseason, warm up to, to restarting, and you never know. Older Kevin Bamford could both breakdown on the in the second week of preseason training and then we've're relying on Tyler Roberts who actually will probably do a brilliant job but there's there's a lot of um it feels like a lot of the pieces have been thrown up in the air and uh, form certainly which it felt like Leeds were building up momentum with uh, before the the shutdown will not be a reliable indicator of of starting again it's going to be like, especially with this idea of getting them all the games played in 56 games, which I think included the the playoffs. So it will be even less for the regular season uh, matches. It's going to be a, a frantic mini season and all bets will be off. Although actually all bets will probably be on because I imagine the bookies will be very keen uh, to have this back.
5: I must admit, talking of the playoffs, when I was looking at the, the schedule with it, they were saying they hope they can squeeze it all into this tight time frame, including the playoffs. A selfish part of me did think, I'd get rid of the playoffs that'd be a nice work. that's the fairest way of doing it isn't it because then you give, you buy yourself a couple of weeks then start it a bit later no playoffs absolutely fine
3: a word on Augustine, if we can because he is looking in fine shape is that boy I mean like, look at the, the weight that he seems to have lost you can see it can't you on most of um, Bielsa's squads like you look around at a lot of them and they look almost skeletal but he looks noticeably trimmer and leaner and um, could be a real asset as you
5: said he was a friend who he'd not seen for a while and maybe after he'd left the room, he'd be saying to other people, is he, is he all right? He looks, he's lost a lot of weight, hasn't he? Like he's a lot of weight. Like he looks really, really thin now. Is he, is he definitely all right? But I, I trust he is.
4: Yeah, he's he's following the uh, the Bielsa edicts to a, an incredible degree. And it's it's very impressive, especially given he does not have a, a game to prepare for and he doesn't even have a, a training session to prepare for. He's, and the, the season might not begin again until after his initial loan period date has ended. So he could be perfectly justified with saying, you know what, think once I can travel, I'll just go back to France and I'll let my agents sort out how to get me out of all this deal because I never got played and, you know, I just want to go home. Instead, he's absolutely cracking on getting himself in shape for a a season with no idea when it's going to come back and really just rolling with the ideals that, that Bielsa tries to get them all to get on board with.
3: Because one of the l- narratives that seemed to pop up when he was in Germany was that he had a clash with the coach and uh, he might not have been fully into it. And it's good to see that he's completely dispelled that myth because he seems really, really just committed to the entire thing, not just for this season, but with an eye on to next season as well. He's totally knuckling down and um,
4: and playing his part. Yeah, Bielsa seems to have an incredible ability to to draw this level of commitment out of players. But I think it's true of um all the players who have stayed at Leeds at least. You you couldn't count Sami Saeiz on this, but but the buy in from them and the the way that they've all got on board with, with what he's asking them to do has been one of the real pleasures of watching this team come together. That none of this has been easy. And uh and yeah, it's it's not easy for on Kevin Augustine at the moment to train and train and train without a game but he's absolutely doing it.
3: I have to say one thing I am looking forward to from a football perspective is if they do squeeze everything into this sort of seven week period or whatever it's going to be over the summer it's going to be like a almost like a domestic World Cup or European Championships feel to it isn't it? Over the height of the summer we get football God let's hope we get promotion
5: could be great. If if only the crowds were allowed in I think people would come to the conclusion that this is when football should be played I know in the old days they needed to make sure that you know the pitchers weren't rock hard and for the cricket season and, and all that sort of stuff but just let let us have football in summer from now on they've changed it for the Qatar World Cup I think this should be the start of it just have short sleeve shirts every game no postponements or anything lower down the leagues either, because it's uh, it's always going to be a bit nicer weather. I think it's just the way forward. It, you you want your promotion period to just be a summer of glorious uh, sunshine, don't you? And just drinking in the garden every day. So let's let's do that.
4: What are you going to do in winter?
5: World Cup. Then you get your little slice of sunshine when they have the World Cup in Mexico, which is where it should be every year. European World Cups, I suppose you'll have to just accept they'll be a bit cold. But I don't know. There's enough interest there to keep you keep you going. I think
4: have them in Mexico as well. Yes. And the European Championships.
5: Yeah, to play them all in Mexico. Some in Brazil, some in Mexico. South Africa was quite fun. Let's have some there as well.
3: Although it is worth pointing out that the World Cup in South Africa was in winter in the Southern Hemisphere, and it was very, very cold on some of those occasions. But I'm, I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. And an insight into your life there, Michael, drinking in the garden.
5: That's well, all we've got left, really, isn't it? Let's face it, there's, there's nothing else to do other than being annoyed at your children.
3: Although I did um, cave in and buy Football Manager 2020 this week, and God, that's complex. So much to do. Leeds have got not got much money, and I was playing that in the garden. That was quite nice.
5: The mobile version or the full version? Full version. Gone all in. Yeah, I said I had to cancel. I had to stop on the full version. It was too much. The media responsibilities and the training responsibilities were too much for me. I've gone for the um, the touch version of it, where you can slide through seasons a bit quicker. How are you doing?
3: Well, uh, Leeds are in the playoff positions, which is the terror that we don't need, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. um, no, we'll get promoted. I can feel it. Oh, an update on gameplay and then from last week. You know, we had the clips of Lewis and Dan on. We did have somebody flag up a problem. If you remember, Lewis and Dan were trying to recreate January the 3rd on FIFA and they failed miserably. They got absolutely hammered, but they had to jump through so many hoops to get their squads together because there were loads of players missing. And then after all that trouble, they lost about 36 nil on aggregate or something like that. But there was a problem, wasn't there?
5: Yeah, someone on on WACO pointed out that they were playing the wrong version of the game and that is why the squads were out of date which I would laugh at them but I did for our football manager thing I did initially download FM7 rather than 08 which, be, which was the one I needed so I, I can't really talk but unlike them I did notice and think oh this this can't be the right version anymore
3: I also had a go with Man City by the way on football manager just to see what that's like how the other half live and all that that was no fun either but did you win everything or? I'm only halfway through a season but um, expectations are too high and a bit like everything in my life expectations are too high and too much responsibility to do stuff. I've delegated everything to Brian Kidd initially, but then he's going to get fired shortly.
5: You're going to Warnock Group. Just let the coaches do it. Absolutely. I'm living in Cornwall,
3: baby. We thank Levi Solicitors for their continued support with the podcast. Still 20% off of frontline workers during the coronavirus crisis and 10% off anyway if you go through us. If you have things to be doing from a legal standpoint, you know, whether you're moving house or in the midst of a house move that's been put on hold, You've got employment law issues, something for your business, get in touch with Levi's. And yeah, they're, they're looking after the, the key worker groups at the minute during this crisis. So if you're NHS staff, maybe a driver of some description, supermarket worker, and you need a bit of legal stuff, get in touch with Levi's. 10% off for, uh, for going through us or 20% if you're a key worker. Levi's solicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Right, boys, let's talk money. We covered this off somewhat in the Phil Hayes show the back end of last week, so we don't need to do it completely again in this bit. But yeah, the accounts, they've come out for 2018-19 for the benefit of anybody who hasn't heard this yet on the Phil Hayes show. In essence, the club uh, lost £21 million as an operating loss, effectively 12 months ago thereabouts. These accounts run to June 2019, so uh, the playoff derby defeat. But things actually quite rosy when you take away the hideous wage costs in the championship that they've put on 20%, basically, on every form of revenue, which is great. And it looks like this year is going to go up even higher again. So club massively heading in the right direction, but the championship is just a complete money pit.
5: Yeah, it is good. But I suppose it says, it just shows that what drives a football club's revenue is a successful team on the pitch and having a successful team costs you an absolute fortune. Yeah,
4: that's been the the standout thing from this set of accounts, really. It was hard to really credit them last season because we were dealing with, those accounts show Thomas Christensen and Paul Heckingbottom and didn't really do justice to to anything, really. I think that first season we floundered. This time, uh, these accounts show the, the first season of Bielsa and really a, um, a focusing of what Leeds United were trying to do, which was not try and develop... Caleb Ekuban into the, as he is now, a Milan bound striker or make Pavel Chubitsky a, a superstar of world football, but just to get promoted. And the concentration of, of resources on Marcelo Bielsa himself, who's been a, a huge investment, and then on the playing staff have been, they really stand out compared to old sets of accounts where we would be looking at where all the money had gone instead of on the football team, um, as always seemed to be the case under Ken Bates. GFH were never really around enough, around long enough for us to get a full grip on on their story through the accounts. Once they started showing the the debts that they were racking up, we still owe them £4.2 million. Pounds. They were already on their way out. And then Chilino's story at Leeds was basically cutting everything down to its absolute minimum. What these show is that the club is now uh, making a lot of money. Um, certainly a lot more than it did. It's, um, the commercial revenue was 27.1 million. Gate receipts, 12.6. So There's like 40 million quid there um, straight away. And then almost all of that money going on the team, which is where it should be going. I'm always, uh, obviously there are risks with um, the championship loves its uh, ridiculous wage to income ratios. I think Reading are spending something like 200% of their income on wages. Not a good idea. And I think 94% where Leeds are at is um, just above the average for the championship. And it's risky, but it's the kind of risk a football club should be making. That's the whole point is you're taking the money and then you spend it on a, a football team and you hope that team wins lots of games. And it's been kind of reassuring that that's what they have been doing. There is a direct financial
3: correlation between league position and expenditure on wages. And I think, unfortunately for football anyway, that's the thing that we have to look at. So if we are spending a lot of money on wages, generally we will be up towards the top end of the league. And the problem is, as we all know, it's TV money, isn't it? It's the fact that there is so much money swimming around in the Premier League versus the Championship and Sean Harvey's Super Sky deal. When you make comparisons in terms of revenue between us, and we've picked out Everton as an example here, our total TV income was less than one televised home match in the Premier League. So we made just under one and a half million quid in TV income for that year. Premier League, you're talking 1.6 million per game, so more than our entire season's worth of income. But when you stack us up against Everton, some of these figures are interesting. We're actually not too far away in some other respects.
4: Yeah, Everton have a sort of a similar size ground. Their average uh, attendance is a little bit bigger. Our gate receipts at 12.6, there's 14.2. The commercial revenue I spoke about before, I think Leeds are hopeful that the... Accounts for the season that we're currently in would show us closer to forty point eight million on their their commercial side. That's the side they've been growing as much as they can. Broadcasting income, though, Leeds made a total of about one and a half million pounds for the season. Everton's broadcasting income for the season was one hundred thirty two point seven million pounds. That's the first part of the problem. The second part of the problem is that within the the championship bases, it's it's sort of it's its selling point on being the competition for the Premier League. And it encourages its clubs to to try and get in. And the only way that you can make up a, a spending gap like that, especially when the teams with parachute payments come down to your division, is to, to try and spend money that competes with clubs who are getting 132 million pounds more per season than we are. We are competing with clubs like Everton for players. Look at Chris Woods. There was absolutely no way we could stop Chris Wood going to Burnley because they had this kind of, of broadcast money and and we don't. The only way of uh, of trying to plug that gap is coming up with as as much money from as many sources as you can to to spend it then on transfer fees and wages. To uh, in Reading's case a ridiculous degree, to Leeds's case uh, a hopefully a calculated risk degree. But then when you do do that, you then get slapped with um. FFP penalties and investigations and deductions because because despite having this selling point of being the competition for the Premier League, the television deal that um, Sean Harvey negotiated with with Sky and the other broadcast partners in no way reflects the competition in those terms and doesn't do anything to make the FFP limits sensible. The, none of the, the numbers... Match up is you're, you're asking teams to compete with Everton for players and get into the competition to play against them, but they can't um, spend more than or lose more than £39 million in three seasons. And that means the only uh, way out of it is to sell all your players to Everton. And the the circle just, just doesn't square. And uh, you can kind of, um, yeah, you can sympathise with um, with some of what uh, championship clubs are going through.
5: What the Everton results also show is that for all that your TV revenue is, uh, you know, 133 million rather than 1.6 million. You still make a massive loss because all of the money that you get in just goes straight back out the door to players. And you see it in the cha- the championship as well. The clubs that are spending the most on salaries are always the ones that have come down, often with a, a what is on paper a Premier League squad, but they rarely seem to bounce straight back. Do they? You get the likes of Stoke and Villa when they came down, actually struggling to make an impact on the division while actually still paying two or three times more than average.
4: Yeah, there's. There's a possibility that this crisis might have a, some kind of, of levelling effect. It is always interesting with the, the parachute payments and whether they work or not. West Brom are in their, their last season of, of having them and uh, the second best team in the division by quite some way. Stoke, just an absolute failure. But then the, the ridiculous thing about them is you have to outspend them anyway and you end up trying to outspend a club that has a £100 million budget is rubbish, and but that you can't predict that you have to you have to go up against them anyway, and it does focus everything on this idea that the the budget is the all important thing. But the um, the Bundesliga's chief executive uh, Christian Sievert they're actually they're trying to restart uh, very soon behind close those over there. But he said that um, his quotes about the transfer market were quite interesting. He said, in the short term, I would say the transfer market, this somewhat will not exist. It will collapse. Some agents will suddenly understand that they will have to work hard or at least work. Some leagues will understand that money is nothing that is coming automatically every month from heaven. And um, I think the, uh, the fact that clubs are going to have to recut their cloth and Angus Kinnear said in his YEP column this week that they're they're actively doing work on the, the finances for next season, now that the scenarios have, have changed, may mean that it won't be as easy for an agent to go to a club and say, Well, if you don't pay us X amount of money, he's gonna to move to another club and they're gonna pay it because they're not gonna be able to pay it either. It might be a chance for uh, for clubs to not necessarily rest back some control because I think the Spurs saga said I'd, I'd probably prefer Danny Rose to be running Spurs and some of the their executive based on the, the moral decisions they've been making, but at least to perhaps knock some sanity back in and say, now we're going to use this opportunity when we need to do it to get salaries back down to a decent level so that, as you say, Everton's losses, they turned that 132 broadcasting income plus the 40 million commercial revenue and the 15 million gate receipts into a £112 million loss. Yeah, if anybody is sort of sitting and and looking at these accounts during the lockdown, maybe they will come out of it like having a a eureka moment and say, you know what, why don't we just not give all this money to players and agents and, and actually try to run the club sustainably from now on and then give it a week and they'll just fucking lose it all anyway.
5: That is the problem. You just know that as soon as, as soon as clubs have got the chance to go back to spending wildly and digging themselves into further debt, they will do again. Because the prize, as soon as the prize gets is there again, then people start spending the money. And what the Everton thing shows is that the more income you have, you just can borrow more. It's like a credit card. You know, If you've got no income, you can maybe borrow a grand on it. If you've got a big income, you can get yourself into 50 grand of debt straight away. And that's all clubs keep doing on it. And it should be fixed now. But do any of us have any faith that it will be? We shall
3: see then. Let's move on to this one then. We've mentioned Big Kev before, one of the players that's been uh, brought to our attention this last seven days. We've also heard from one of the most heroic people in Leeds United,
5: Gianni Alioski, dressed as a zebra. What a man. (laughs) I don't know where he's getting his clothes from, but I liked it a lot. It's the sort of thing I imagine him wearing. I think everyone else has just gone for joggers and a hoodie around the house, haven't they? But he's got some nice exotic stripey number on so it's exactly as i expected him to be
4: yeah he wasn't wearing like a zebra head or anything was he
5: no 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 shouldn't point out
3: because they've been doing these chats with people who've been in lockdown this was uh on the official site wasn't it so w- the thrust of this was great what i enjoyed most of all was that he was slightly put out and hurt that people thought he would be the worst teammate to be in quarantine with like it wasn't something he was aware of which i think is brilliant and i love that
5: about jenny he's not aware of his own manners yeah, it's when he said, "He said, oh, but I don't know why you with me. You can do everything. We could play PlayStation, Netflix, play cards. What do you want? It's just like it's like I, I'm a, a fun guy to have, Janny. You just sometimes you're a bit. It's a bit, oh look, it doesn't matter. Let's just let's. Do you want to
4: play cards? We'll play cards. We'll play cards. He'll just go and buy some more toys, won't he? That's it. Yeah, I think you that's have to be, been hit the hardest. You have to be my friend. I've bought more toys. Another great line in
3: this was when he ran through the different things that he did, such as PlayStation, Netflix, play cards, he touches
5: upon reading books. He says, nah, not me. <laughs> nah, too much like hard work. Can't concentrate. I on this idea that he's a lovable idiot. He does also say that he speaks German, it's Italian, English, Albanian, Macedonian, and a little Spanish and French, which to be frank is a lot more than I can do. So credit to him there.
4: You can't read either though.
5: That's true as well.
3: About Alioski though, what I like to draw a parallel with him is he's like that mate. You know when you've got one of those mates who's completely exhausting when you go out, who you just got to kind of keep an eye on constantly because they always end up getting themselves into trouble. But you still love him anyway, because he's your mate. He's like that guy, except he's a polyglot. That should add that as well.
5: I mean the fact he freely admits that he does stuff to annoy people in here as well. Like when he's talking about the shaking of the tunnels, he's like it makes the other security nervous and they get anxious about it and they get angry. And I enjoy this. Which is nice to know that he's deliberately going out there to wind people up. But he also says, you know, I've got a big heart, a smile always. Of course, I'm a little crazy, but it's, you need to be. And Berardi, speaking of the crazy mate, Berardi is obviously the the one who's charged with keeping him in line as well. Because he says that he's he's always been looking out for him, which is good. We get this a lot from people talking about Berardi, don't we? I think even, even as far back as Belushi being here and being a complete knobhead, I think... Even he was friends with Berardi, wasn't it? Which just goes to show that Berardi is something of a saint.
3: We've also heard from uh, Jack Harrison. Did you catch that? It was quite a long interview with ESPN. It was about twenty minutes, wasn't it? Done via uh, Skype or whatever it was. And he seems like a lovely lad.
5: I mean, I found this o- this slightly awkward this interview to watch because I think I-, I think she was quite in love with him, and I think he was going along with it a little bit as well. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of cooing into a webcam on it. She was like, "Oh yes, Jack, the last time we spoke." or... Oh, you're so handsome. You're doing so well over there. aren't you? You're you a good lad. But he does. He comes across well in it. And I felt sorry for him when he was saying that he was talking about when he first came to Leeds and he had to delete his Twitter account because of the shit he was getting on there. So be nice to Jackie. And
3: you forget he's a young man as well. Imagine when, you know, think back to when you were like in your early 20s and if somebody was constantly calling you shit, you'd have cried,
5: wouldn't you? I mean, that's, that's something I've had to encounter more as I've got to know Moscow. But thankfully, I've been more mid to late 20s in that period. One thing you would like, actually, Moscow, in the comments for this on YouTube,
4: everyone's calling him Jackie.
5: It's really caught on. I think, I'm pretty sure the video itself is still called Jack Harrison, but in the comments, it's Jackie, Jackie, Jackie.
4: It suits him. It's praise. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Jack Grealish will never know what it feels like to have people like you enough to call you Jackie. Did we know he's a Liverpool fan? Right, he's back to Jack.
3: It's definitely one um, negative mark against his name. that We can't be having that, can we? We can't be having that.
4: As long as his favourite player is James Milner, I think it's okay.
3: Or um, Nick Barnby.
5: No, just James Milner.
3: Okay. And he did that diplomatic thing, did young Jackie, of saying that he hoped to be with us next season, but obviously he'd be happy to go back to Man City as well, and so on and so forth. He's staying with us, isn't he? He's staying.
5: You kind of got that impression from me. He he was saying that when he said he'd be happy to go back to Man City, you get the impression he knows he's not doing. I think, and I I do actually, in fairness, think he would be happy to go back there, but I think he knows he's not going to get picked, so... I'm afraid you're stuck with us, Jackie. And we have also heard from Patrick Bamford. What's he been up to? He's been learning Disney songs on the piano, which is nice. This is the second mention in as many weeks for Elton John, isn't it? But he's uh, he's been learning, can you feel the love tonight? And he, he gets halfway to saying The Little Mermaid as well, which was nice. But I don't know. It's, it's quite nice that he's got hobbies. I often feel that footballers don't and better themselves enough when they've got a load of spare time. So having people learning languages and instruments and things is a good wholesome way to spend your time. It's
4: kind of interesting that one of the hobbies he has taken up is football, is he's had to buy a football off Amazon. And he said something like he's, he's you know, just doing a little bit of practicing with it, just dribbling around for 10 minutes every day, trying to see if the dog can, can get the ball off me. Like have you, Has it just occurred to, to Pat? Oh, you know, you know what, what might be quite good? I might see if I can get better at football. How does he
5: not have a ball? I suppose he he hasn't provided for him, doesn't he, at the training ground? He probably just thinks, well, don't need one all the time.
4: He's a very rich young man. I'm surprised he doesn't have a treadmill either. He was saying he tried running up and down hills, but that was too hard. So he had to go and find some flat ground. Just buy a treadmill. He has money coming either from Leeds United or the the JCB millions. Just spend, how, how much is a treadmill? I imagine
5: the ones Bielsa wants him to have are probably about 15 grand or right. something. They'll be the, the premium ones, but he could
4: afford that. He could put it on his credit card, couldn't he?
3: One thing to note from this is that Bamford's been getting into Disney. And I can imagine Pat Bamford being a Little Mermaid fan, actually. Uh, he's been getting into Disney. It was mentioned by Jack Harrison that he's been watching a lot of Disney+. Plus. You think maybe it's a bit too highbrow, Disney+, Plus, for Johnny Alioski?
5: He can't follow it, can he? He did name his favourite TV programmes, but I, I didn't know what any of them were. Have you been on the Disney Plus? I must admit, I've been, uh, I think that it does seem to have been the very well-timed for lockdown. Been watching Chippendale Rescue Rangers on there with the kids and Only uh, I Shrunk the Kids. So uh, some Sword in the Stone, been some classics on there. I'm sure Pat Bamford's watching all the same stuff. Yeah, we're piggybacking on a friend's account Yeah, at the minute. We've swapped them Netflix for Disney Plus,
3: so a uh, nice little trade-off there. Nice. Can recommend the um the Jeff Goldblum thing as well where he explains stuff which I think is it might be a National Geographic thing. That's an interesting watch. I'll give it a try. If you want to get involved with the show and fill up this gap with your question, uh, the squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp, that will take you into the app, give you our number. All you need to do is record as a voice memo and we will play you out on the show. Now, first one today comes from James.
2: Hi, guys. With the lack of football at the minute, a lot of people are creating their greatest ever 11s or variations of. But it's got me thinking, you know, with Bielsa being the way he is and his training methods... Which 11 players over the last 10 years do you think would make up a Nightmare 11 for Bielsa to manage? Cheers, guys.
3: So what's Bielsa's Nightmare 11 then? I mean, James did say from the last 10 years, but I'm sure we can be a wee bit flexible and maybe count it as from relegation or something like that.
5: Yeah, I mean, I want Paul Butler in there, so it's going to have to be a bit flexible because I I couldn't think of a a fatter, less interested, less composed defender that we've had in the last, well, 30 years. So he's his first name on the team sheet and captain for me.
3: You imagine it's kind of going to boil down to the degree of rebellion that comes from the players so you can't imagine certain players being that interested in knuckling down and really applying themselves like you know like Jew for example was a name that sprang to mind that you know he, he was entertaining when he was here grabbing his crotch but you can't imagine he's going to be all in for a Bielsa preseason can you
5: I think that's the thing with a lot of them it's the people who are not willing to give up their Sunday nights Monday nights Wednesday nights that they insist on going out to the pub regardless Um, The the shape Paddy Kenny came back to preseason that time was a worry. Also early Michael Ricketts as well for Leeds. You've got to think that under Bielseri, it would have been more of like a big pair of trousers held up next to him for Michael Ricketts. It would be the the before and after shot, never mind just the the big Kev transformation. I think basically you can just look at Warnock's list of signings and pretty much all of them. Just for the pace, like a a, a Tongi and Brownie midfield with Varney on the left, you just can't imagine any of them have got the the engine. Well, Vaney had the engine, but absolutely no guile whatsoever. So him on the him in a kind of a, an attacking left-sided position in a Jackie Harrison role would be an absolute disaster. And I think going back a bit further as well, just because of the all-action midfielders that Bielsa likes. I think Jermaine Wright, if we can remember him, who was a wouldn't actually be able to tell you what type of midfielder he was. He was a midfielder who didn't touch the ball or tackle or be seen.
3: Yeah, I remember christing him as Casper the Friendly Ghost because he was that anonymous. And you do feel like Bielsa wants players who are prepared to take responsibility.
5: I think another one to throw in there for the defence would be Mansour Asumani, just for the the fact that Bielsa likes it. even a star player has to bed in for about three months. Whereas Mansour Asumani, I think he played one reserve game for McAllister and then was straight into the first team. Admittedly, only for 45 minutes of it, but that was enough for McAllister to give him a go. And did we mention Griegan there
3: alongside Butler? Because as soon as you say Butler, I'm, I think Griegan.
5: I don't know. I feel like Griegan was actually all right on the ball at times. I think also might have just made him lose a shitload of weight and then turned him into an all right footballer. I think underneath it, he was probably an all right lad, was Gregan. I think with Gregan and Butler, there was always that
3: impression that they'd just come in from, uh, it was like maybe the morning after a big session at the pub, that kind of thing. They were all a bit sweating the booze out kind of thing.
5: I think maybe they brought out the worst in each other. I think if, if there was no one there for Gregan to go out with, he might have been all right.
3: Right then, we'll move on to a question from Lee Brown, who is our square ball photographer.
4: Since I can't take any pictures at the moment, what is the most iconic image in League United's history for you?
3: Now there are absolutely loads we could say for this. I think because I've started making a list here and it's gone on and on and on. So maybe this is one we could do over a few weeks. But on a personal level, my favourite photo is that one of Wilkinson walking towards the cop with the League Championship Trophy held down low to his side in 1992, just walking away from the camera. It's it's kind of It just oozes the the phrase, kind of, we did it, or job done, something like that. Love that one.
4: Yeah, from a similar era, I don't know if it's necessarily iconic, but I love that at the end of the promotion season, they got the players to pose for another squad photo so that the players like Chapman and um, who and Chris Kamara, who, who weren't there at the start of the season, were on it and and Ian Baird who had, had left was not but they were they're all wearing clean, crisp white, and crucially long sleeved top man shirts, and they look fantastic and i I really like the idea of a uh, of bringing them back together for a formal squad photo at the end of the season and of them having the the satisfied look of champions about them I think other iconic
3: photos going wet. Wh- A little bit way back. I think the coolest photo is definitely Big Jack smoking, you know, in Fullerton Park. So it's a shot that's taken from down by his feet looking up at him. So he looks like an absolute giant statue of a man. Pure, brilliant white kit and a beautiful blue sky behind him. And he's just got a tab in his mouth because it's just of its time. And we all know smoking's cool and good for you. So you should definitely do that, kids. And I think that's just such an
4: iconic photo. Related to the... Last question. I think that's a training session. I would have loved to see Marcelo Bielsa turn up for.
3: Other favourites on my list: uh, the photo of Speed and Batty, you know, in that mid-air embrace. Love that one. Brendan Ormsby on the cop in 1987. Loads. I think you can get through. We, we should do this over a few weeks, actually, because there are so many.
5: One that came to my mind for this, which I had to go and look back at because I've seen the picture so many times that I realized I didn't actually know the full context of it. Is Viduka on his knees, having scored against Besiktas, with his he's got his arms wide. And I, in my head, always thought I was in front of the cop, but I think he's actually in front of the West stand, which somehow ruins it slightly for me. I don't know why it's from, it's in front of that bit of the West stand where the away fans are now housed, but it's a lovely shot. You see, I'd always assumed that was the East stand, like the Northeast corner of the East stand that. Nope. It's the bit of the ground that we are not sitting in anymore. <laughs> the other one I thought of from that champions league era is there's, um, when Bowie's just scored against AC Milan and there's a shot of him kind of running away. I think there's a crowd of players chasing him. Alan Smith's kind of got a little bit of a hold of his shirt but it's just really good because through the lights, you can just see how much it was raining that night. And it's one of those that, you're seeing, seeing how the rain coming down, it just reminds me of the night itself and just remembering the full atmosphere around it and everything.
3: Harking back to 1992, though, uh, you remember John Newsom's celebration when he scored at Sheffield United when he's got that massive grin on his face and he's got his arm up in the air pointing. And more modern times, do you think Ayling's volley versus Huddersfield could end up being quite iconic, given the athleticism
5: involved? I kind of don't want a goal against Huddersfield to be too iconic because I think it validates them
4: too much. The recent photo that sprung to my mind is actually one that our questioner Lee Brown, took of J-Roy Grot in the snow, shaking hands with fans at the front of the cop at the end of a game for some reason. That seemed to really um, sum up, not a great time, but it summed up a time and um, one of the best Leeds United photos I've seen over the last few seasons.
5: Just to go back to um, something we were talking about last week as well, with the the anniversary of of the deaths in Turkey was is the shot of the Leeds fans with their backs to the crowd uh, to the game. It, it's one of the few pictures that sort of it gives me goosebumps to even just think about it somehow. Just knowing what it was what it was about and having recreated it since at games, It's just is it's a very meaningful if very depressing picture.
3: Yeah, let's revisit this one next week as well. We'll run through a couple more, perhaps in a, in a bit more detail, because there are so many. I mean, I've got. For example, Viddy Jones, you know, when he tackled the kid in the pre-match warm-up in the promotion season. Stuff just stuff like that. Just absolutely magical. So we'll come back to this one next week. Right now, let's move on to a question from Niall. How is, lads? Uh, just
2: listening to the podcast there about uh, talking about the traditional game
3: at Shelburne and how you used to have a great crack at Shelburne and all that over the years. And
5: I have a mate who's a big Shelburne fan, so I was talking to him about it and he was saying that uh, he wished it was a traditional game because the shells could do it, the money in that. But just wondering
3: why you think that the club doesn't come over to Ireland um, for pre-season as much as it used to, doesn't play those Shelburne games anymore. You know, was, was there a link there that's
2: lost or what's what's the crack altogether?
5: I mean, I've tried to provide the link to Ireland with the, the Robbie Keane impressions down then, but there's only so much I can do, isn't there? But it is a shame. I feel like my era of watching Leeds was marked by loads of Irish players. Obviously, Kelly and, and Ian Hart in the team, McPhail and Mabry coming in, O'Leary's manager, Robbie Keane signing. It felt like we'd always have a, at least four or five really good Irish players in the squad. But since then, it's been um, Union O'Kane and Darren O'Day and Noel Hunt. And I suppose we have to include Paul Green as well, even though he is from Ponte. So why has
3: it kind of tailed off in the pre-season tour in particular that Niall touches on there? Because it was an annual fixture, wasn't it? And it's it's easy to get to from most parts of Britain, Leeds Bradford included, and you've got loads of Irish fans there. And it always just felt like a nice, just a pre-season. It was a celebration, wasn't it, of what Leeds is as a club. It taps into something quite deep within our psyche because pre-seasons have ended up going elsewhere. Do you think maybe it's just something to do with a shifting of the ownership and people have maybe just forgotten over time, you know, new people come in with new ideas?
5: I think one way or another, it probably boils down to money, either the money to not, go as far afield when, when Warnock just took us to Cornwall because it was easier all the money that is available now from going to somewhere like Burma for a one-off game even though there is probably very very little interest in League United there.
4: There was a sense of pre-seasons used to be more about warming up for the the campaign and so uh, uh, a little trip over to Ireland to play a quite a with all due respect to Showburn, low standard of opposition was uh, kind of helped with the the Conditioning now, you look at a, a pre season, and for some reason, like Real Madrid will be playing Juventus in Chicago, and that seems to be where things have got to. It's and you're having these kind of games that used to be reserved for like European Cup semi finals just being played in the middle of summer with 15 substitutions at half time, and that's one of those ideas that has kind of filtered down and make things like a trip to Myanmar at the end of a season, seemed like a good idea.
3: You did make a good point though, Michael, that we've actually had fewer and fewer Irish players coming through when, as we used to have loads, when you think back to the, well, like the early 2000s.
5: I mean, I think the last one that I actually properly liked was maybe Jonathan Douglas. And even he was a bit of a, um, a bit of a contentious one. I know a lot of people didn't like him at all.
3: But we've stopped kind of uh, recruiting a lot of players from Ireland. I mean, or have we? I mean, I don't know, there's a good question here to ask Irish fans who've probably got a better idea about this than we have. What is it like there now Is it well-known that Leeds are going over there to scout. And how do you feel about it? Do you think the the relationship is slightly less than it was? If you do, give us a shout. squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp. We'd love to hear from you. We bring you this podcast with The Athletic. We also bring you a show in the second half of the week featuring Phil Hay. It's called The Phil Hay Show. And Phil's with me now. Lockdown going all right, Phil? It's going fine, thank you. Yes, hanging in there. Just about, yeah. What have we got this week in terms of the Twitter poll for our... Uh, discussion topic because we always turn over one of the parts of the uh, of the podcast to the public via your Twitter feed what are our three choices this week?
6: We certainly do um, this week we're going to throw up the option of minus 15 which was obviously the points deduction that Leeds had in 2007 before the first season down in, in League 1 uh, we're also going to give people the option of Paris in 1975 which I thought was quite a good topical one given the the news we've had with Norman Hunter who's fighting um, the coronavirus and, and hopefully going to see that off fairly soon but yeah revisit that night in, in the, the part of the France which should have been one of the greatest in League United's history and, and ultimately one of the, the most forgettable in the end um, and then choice three was Gary Monk uh, manager for one season in 2016-17 um, so at the minute looking good for minus 15 which is out in front on 47%.
3: Right then, we look forward to speaking about one of those later on in the week. And if you are listening to this before the poll closes, get involved in that. You can listen to all the Athletic podcasts at... Free via the app and that's where all Phil's writing lives. What have we got this week, Phil?
6: The main thing to look out for this week is a big interview with Luciano Becchio something again I've been looking to do for, for a long time with him. It was an interesting one because obviously we're all locked down by COVID-19 and um, he doesn't speak a great deal of English I don't speak particularly great Spanish so we agreed that we would chat over email for as long as it took to go back and forward with the questions and in the end we took four weeks and um, we exchanged about 200 emails and the whole conversation is there for people to read it touches on everything from goals to contracts to Beckford to Neil Warnock to Berbatov and everything in between. So check that out if you can.
3: Yeah, I've got a feeling we've got more Becchio to come actually because there's some heartbreaking stuff in there for Leeds fans. So no ads, pop-ups and clickbait on The Athletic. A free trial with 50% off your subscription if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Heroes and villains then, gentlemen, please. Happiness and sadness across the last seven days. First, we do the Ken Bates Villainy Awards and we give Ken Bates, or one of them, a nomination because those are the rules. We say one of them because we've since turned up not only Monaco Ken, but you know we'll know the, the guy from Casper, Wyoming, the councilman who we seem to have broken had a bit of a breakdown on Facebook and then deleted his page. Whoops. Uh, we did find the lawyer, um, Ben Cates, who was knocking about in Canada. Felt like playing with fire, that one, though, given that he was a lawyer. Um, any Anything, any of the Kens or Bens or any of them have done this last week?
5: Well, I think Wyoming Ken deserves a nomination for still being completely off the grid. I've tried multiple ways to find him. I think I'm going to have to ring him, is what I've concluded from this. If I want to hear from him, I'm going to have to ring the man up myself. So wait and see on that one.
4: Who else would you like to nominate? Massimo Cellino has upset me quite considerably again, almost as upsetting as the the entire interview that Phil Hay has done with Luciano Becchio, the, the whole thing being, a you need a um, a box of tissues to, to dab your eyes throughout throughout reading that. But it, Luciano comes up with a story at the end, which he says, uh, nobody knows, that um, the day before he was signing for Redders at Rotherham, Massimo Cellino phoned Becchio's representative to ask him to return to Leeds. And Becchio says, we arranged that the next morning he would call me to come and sign. That call never happened. And after that, he never answered any of our calls. So... I signed for Rotherham. Imagine it. It's like putting candy in a child's mouth and taking it away. I really wanted to go back, but Chilino didn't open the door for me. I think the crucial part where this has fallen down, and it's fairly easy to read, is when we arranged that the next morning he would call me to come and say, Chilino slept in, hasn't he? He's got drunk. He's probably gone on a night out with Terry. Next morning, ah. What is it, three in the afternoon? Oh, I was supposed to call that guy. That, uh, oh, the, who is the lead Chapman going to sign? Oh, uh, forget it. And then to get over the embarrassment, he's just ignored all the calls. Heartbreaking. Although,
5: I think Chilino often had problems doing things in an afternoon. So he's, he's kind of, he's done it half right, hasn't he? He's thought, right, no, I know I can't do anything in, in the afternoon. I'll arrange this for the morning. But then... Sometimes the night and the morning probably blurred for him, I would imagine.
3: There was that ongoing joke about Alan Smith always being sat sat outside the stand crying, wasn't it, in his car. You think maybe
5: that genuinely was Becchio on that morning? Although, if you think about it, we'd have still had Steve Morrison at the club at this point, wouldn't we? Would would we have wanted Morrison and Becchio at the same club? It feels like it it
4: couldn't have happened. It's like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, isn't it? You can't do that. Becchio would have fucking sparked him right out. It would have been great. Even more better. We could have just signed him, let him... Punch Steve Morrison hard and then sack him. Done. Sack
3: who, Morrison? Sack who?
4: <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> We're asking
3: for it. That is sad is that because in a time of such paucity when we had so few heroes, you could argue that Becchio was one of the last proper heroes that we had before it all went very, very badly wrong. So it would have been nice to have him come back. Even if he was useless, I
4: wouldn't, I wouldn't uh... have cared.
5: I was going to say, although arguably it's, it might have been a bit like the Lee Chapman comeback where it just didn't really work and was something that shouldn't really have happened.
4: You'd take Becky all over at thought, wouldn't you? Well, that's Even true. Even now. At least he had a song.
5: Who else are you wanting to nominate for Villainy? Uh, City Football Group, uh, because they offered Bielsa the Girona job last summer, apparently, and they own 44.3% of, of Girona FC. Is this Man City? Yes, essentially. And to make it even more Man City-ish, Pep Guardiola's brother owns the other, well, not the other 43, but owns also 44.3%. I'm not sure who owns the remainder. Probably um, the devil himself, I imagine. But yeah, they thought they could tempt Marcello to the second division in Spain. What on earth were they thinking? Idiots. And also Per Guardiola, I'm going to call him Per, I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, His main, he's a football agent as well, and his main client is Suarez, which just goes to show what a bad man he is. Yeah, leave him alone. He's ours. He's never leaving us. We get to keep him forever. I think those are the rules, aren't they? Instead certainly not for the fucking Spanish second division. If Argentina said they wanted to give him another job as national coach for a bit or something, then, you know, maybe. Or if, if Real Madrid want to have a sniff around him, then I can understand it at least. But the Spanish second division,
4: who do they think they are? I'd quite like a sniff around him. Not to give him a job, just smell him. Well, you can sniff from a distance now.
5: Maybe, maybe you could, uh, once he's vacated a bench, you could go and have a little whiff. We should also
3: nominate um, Arsenal. Their footballers have been arseholes about this, not deferring wages. Tottenham,
5: arseholes. Liverpool, all all the Premier League? Yeah, most of them. I think that that's probably a bit harsh. I'm sure some of them have done the right thing. But Liverpool and Spurs have, well, they've, they've since decided to change their mind, haven't they, after there was a massive PR storm about it? That's the, the clearly, they've not chosen to do the right thing. They've had to do the right thing, which is not the same. I
3: think in the absence of any evidence to the contrary, we should assume all the Premier League is guilty until until we hear otherwise and until we're back in it and we can start righting wrongs all over the shop. Is that all our
4: candidates for this week then? If so, do you want to uh, pick a winner, loser? It's got to be Massimo, hasn't it? Yeah, undoubtedly. Just listen to that line again. Imagine it like putting candy in a child's mouth and taking it away, not just in its hand, not just offering a child a sweet Putting candy in a child's mouth.
5: Like putting Luciano in Moscow's mouth and then taking him away. What's going to ask, actually, hey, Moscow,
3: you know this all came about from a back and forth set of emails between Phil and Luciano. For, it went on for several weeks, four weeks, wasn't it? Imagine that. You get to email Becchio back and forth for four weeks. What would you have put? <sighs> Apart from send nudes.
5: <laughs> I think you'd have got wanted to be a more old-fashioned pen pal. I think you'd get the little thrill of seeing the foreign stamp on it and everything and be like, ooh, got another one. Imagine if you were getting actual photos of him eating steak through the post, how much better that would be. So Chalina is your Ken Bates villain of the week. What about your Andy Hughes hero of the week? Who are our uh, candidates for this this week? I think Big, Big Kev deserves a nomination for no longer being Big Kev, for being skinny Kev and losing the weight that the rest of us are all piling on at the moment. Just nice to show that he's he's serious about this whole thing.
3: Has to be said, I um, I put on some jeans on Saturday. Just to remember what it felt like, and just to check that I could still get in them. Um, it was a bit of a struggle, but uh, it was it was a
5: nice experience for a bit. Then I went back into tracksuit bottoms. I bet you felt like a hotshot businessman for a few a few hours, didn't you? Wearing a pair of jeans. Who else do we want to nominate? Uh, the little mermaid for cheering Pat Bamford up, giving him something to concentrate on during this period. And you know when he's when he can drag himself away from his brand new football, he's doing this instead. So I applaud him.
3: And a reminder. In the video, the birthday video for Pablo Hernandez, how good he is at nutmegs, because it made me think of Pablo then, because he could nutmeg a mermaid.
4: I'd like to nominate Gianni Olioski, um, who's our player is probably most likely to marry a mermaid. I, could, I think that was how he gets involved. I could imagine him
5: living under the sea. I did leave that video with, with Gianni, really loving him, I have to say. He's just such, such an innocent character. He's older than he should be as Gianni. He's, he's like a he's joked about before, but he's a child in a man's body but you almost saw the sort of nice sweet side of him in this as well. He means no harm to anyone, does he? Not really.
3: He's lovely and I'm glad he's ours. We also need to give a mention to uh, to Billy Foster. We heard from Nagzi on the WhatsApp number who said, Hi guys, how about a mention on this week's pod for Leeds fan and golf caddy, in that order, Billy Foster, who's raised £30,000 and counting for NHS charities by auctioning golf and football memorabilia. That includes a football that was signed by the 1972 FA Cup winning squad, and Don Revy, uh, the ball was won by our dad in a raffle for a quid a couple of weeks after the final. A quid? And has spent the last 48 years in the attic. Uh, it might sound weird that the ball's being kept in the attic, but it was up there to, and I say this in quotes, to preserve it like the holy relic that it is. Indiana Jones would be all over it. But yeah, nice one, Billy Foster. Any other candidates for uh, people who've made a smile then across the last
5: week? Don't think so. Let's pick one then. Who's it going to be? Is it Gianni? Is it Johnny Alioski? I mean, raising 30 grand for NHS charities is pretty good going, I have to say.
4: It's a toss-up, isn't it?
5: Can Billy Foster, maybe next time he's at the Open or something, can he, are there any tunnels there that he could shake? Bring a bit of Gianni Madness to a more gentlemanly sport? What
3: about a, a, a medal of distinction for, for Billy for doing something really worthwhile, but Gianni uh, Alioski for just being daft?
5: Has he ever shouted in a pool? He did explain that in the video, actually, didn't he? he said it was a, a Home Alone tribute. It was the Calvin. <laughs> of course it was.
4: <laughs> Good use of the word tribute.
3: <laughs> so do we give it Johnny? then? Is he having it? Is he having it? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. We're with a, a doff of the cap towards Billy Foster. Nice work, Billy. Well, that just about wraps it up for this one, I think. Um, we've got loads of other podcasts for you on the Extra Ball If you want to hear more of that Bryn Law chat, it was really, really good. Really, really informative. Some powerful stuff on Gary Speed as well. Have a look on the website, squareball.net and hit the squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp if you want to send us through a voice memo to get involved uh, with the show and have a dig about on the website as well with links to mags. Subscriptions for the second half of the season, which is the longest second half of the season ever and merchandise as well. We thank you for listening to this one. We will return next week. We'll see you in a bit the square ball podcast